Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. So we've been in the series entitled Breakthrough, and if you've missed any uh, portions, we, we've been in the series for three weeks. Uh, you can go back and listen to them online uh, via SoundCloud or our podcast, so I encourage you to do that. But uh, don't feel like if this is your first time that you're stepping into the middle of a movie because they're all standalone messages, so um, don't, don't get freaked out. But uh, I, I want to speak to you today from this idea of it hurts so good. It hurts so good. Look at your neighbor and say, it hurts. Look at your second choice and say, so good. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you gave me this great picture just a moment ago as my volume was not working on my piano, and I was panicked to hear. Lord, I pray that we would have that same desperation towards your voice this morning, that if any of us have been, uh, it's been a little hard to hear you recently, Lord, I pray that same panic would arise and we would do whatever we can to hear you this morning. We ask that, Holy Spirit, you give us ears to hear what you would speak to us through your word today. And so, Father, would you come and move in such a specific way in each heart. God, I thank you for your love and your grace on our life. Thank you for all that you're doing in and through us. We don't want to play church today. We want to encounter you in a real way. And so, Holy Spirit, use my mouth for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, I, I don't know. Is anybody excited about pain? How many of you guys like pain? Anybody? I knew there's going to be a couple of strange ones in here. No, I'm just kidding. None of us really like pain, do we? I mean, this, this last week, I was driving with my older daughter, and this was a moment. It was a moment for me as a dad. I realized that the season that we're entering is a brand new season with my kids. As she proceeded to tell me, hey, Dad, why is it that it's not okay for us to wear our seatbelt, for, for us to not wear our seatbelt, but you always forget? And then she went on to impersonate me. She said, you know what you always do or what, how you always say it. You better put on your seatbelt or I'm going to pull over. You better put on your seatbelt or I'm going to give you a flick, right? Yeah, we, do, we, we flick our kids, we do. Um, and so I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everything inside of me wanted to rise up until I realized that you got a point. And then she proceeded to say, so... So why is that okay for you? She, like, clarified it like she was coming to a landing point in her, in her sermon. She said, why is that okay for you and not for us? I said, baby girl, yes and amen. You are right. And just for those words coming off of my mouth, you are right. It's painful. None of us like pain. Like, we don't get excited. I've watched my beautiful wife give birth to our three babies, and not one time was she so pumped for labor. <laughs> now, she has a high tolerance for pain, but she was looking forward to the aftermath, but she was not looking forward to the labor. I mean, there's not too many ladies that are excited about labor, because we don't, we don't like pain. If you've been through a breakup or you've been hurt emotionally in a relationship, that is some of the most painful uh, traumatic things that we could ever go through. Sometimes the emotional pain is harder than physical because it lasts longer. We don't, we don't like that type of pain. Or maybe you've been sick or you know somebody that's been sick for a long period of time. How many of you guys know that gets exhausting? <laughs> like I have, and I'm not complaining, but I still have this little tweak in my back, and it just hurts all the time. 
all the time. And over a period of time, it's just, oh, just we don't like pain. I just wish it would go away. Uh, some people financially. And I started thinking this week, you know, back in 2007, a lot of people committed suicide because they were hurting financially. And sometimes we just don't realize it. You know, financial stuff may seem like no big deal, but... Man, the enemy can use that in a great way, that pain in a great way to cause you to lose hope, to lose sight, to lose perspective. But, but the reality is none of us like pain. I think we can all agree that whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're brand new to church, or man, you're just trying to figure out what in the world are you guys doing here. We can all agree that pain is not exciting. But as much as we don't like pain, it's important that we don't ignore it. Because if we pay attention to it, we realize that pain is communicating something, doesn't it? Yeah. Like pain communicates that there needs to be a change. Pain communicates that uh, maybe we need to be awakened to some things that we haven't been paying attention to. Pain gives us a heads up and says, hey, something is wrong. It tells us something. But then on the other hand, pain can also let us know on a positive end, that something is working. Like 21 days of fasting and prayer. You know when your stomach starts hurting? It's not a bad thing. You know it's working. Because 21 days of prayer and fasting, it's a little bit painful. Or when you're, you know, wanting to go on that Netflix or jump on that social media and you're fasting, you kind of feel... You kind of feel that pain. Pain can communicate that, listen, if you're going to the gym and you're sore the next day, that's a good pain. Because it's working. Right? Some things are breaking down in your body um, that you are doing intentionally for growth. It's, it's a good thing to pay attention to our pain. But I'm blown away by how many people, despite all of the, 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 the signals of pain, despite all of different pain points, I, I'm surprised that there's so many people that ignore pain. I, I was looking at a study uh, done by Dr. Edward. Let me show you on the screen. Dr. Edward Miller, he's the dean and CEO of John Hopkins University. And he, the, the study has been done that there are 600,000 people have heart bypass surgeries every single year. And the number, this is an older statistic, so it's probably a lot higher than that now. And at 1.3 million angioplasties. So basically, getting all the heart junk unclogged and refurbished, right? Because there's some bad habits and sometimes there's hereditary stuff, whatever the case may be. But a lot of it can be changed with some adjustments. And so after the surgery, you would think that, hey, if the doctor is encouraging me to change my lifestyle or my eating habits or things like that, that I would listen. But he said after two years, 90% 90, 90 of their research, 90% of people never change their lifestyle and continue to ignore their symptoms. 90%. On top of that, he said it costs about $100,000 to do it over again. And he said the majority of people with heart surgeries for those particular areas, whether it's a bypass or an angioplasty, a lot of times if they don't change their habits, the chances of them being back in the hospital are almost 100% doing another surgery or the next time they just don't make it. But I thought, how in the world do we just ignore the pain? And then I look at myself and I'm like, I ignore pain all the time. Because we don't like pain, so we think if we just don't deal with pain, that it's going to go away. And that's what we've been seeing in the life of Jonah as we looked over the last few weeks. Jonah just lived, again, in a lot of tension with this. 
Jonah had some pain points in his life, and rather than leaning into them, he chose to run away. Now, let me just give you a quick little recap. So the first pain point that we looked at in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah was called by God to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. Well, Jonah didn't like the people of Nineveh, so therefore he didn't want to go preach to them. He didn't want God's grace uh, to be poured out upon them. He didn't want them to live their best life. He'd much rather have them live a horrible life because they were always at odds. And so Jonah's first pain point was God spoke to him something he didn't want to hear. How many of you guys know when God speaks to you and you don't want to hear it, that's a pain point. Like God wants you to deal with something you don't want to deal with. Come on, am I, only, am I the only human in here? It hurts. So rather than leaning into that and saying, okay, God, let's do it. Let's do this, this surgery. Jonah said, no way, man, I'm out. And he, and he runs away from the presence of the Lord, the Bible says, jumps on a ship headed in the opposite direction of Nineveh, trying to get away from God, trying to get away from the things uh, that he is supposed to deal with, running away from his call. And he goes to the, the bottom of the ship trying to escape. Second pain point, a storm arises. A storm arises on the sea, and Jonah is trying to ignore the storm. He's at the bottom of the boat. You know Jonah feels it. But he's like, no, Lord, I'm not listening. Nope, you can rock this thing as much as you want, but I don't hear you. And so finally the sailors from up top said, hey, Jonah, we've been crying out to our gods. Could you try crying out to yours? Because we could use some help. And then they try to figure out why, where was all this storm, where, were they, where was this storm coming from? So they rolled some dice, and all of the dice pointed to Jonah. I don't recommend that. When you're trying to figure stuff out, don't, don't roll dice. Don't do that. These guys weren't God-fearing people yet. And so all the signs point to Jonah that the storm was a result of Jonah's sin, running away from God. That storm was affecting a lot of other people's lives. And even in the midst of all that pain of them saying, hey, Joe, look at us, man. Like, we're hurting out here. Like, we're... We're trying, to, we're trying to survive, and you just want to keep running and not deal with this pain. And so, so they, they, they try their best to save Jonah's life. Finally, Jonah said, listen, I'm not going to bow my knee to God. You're going to have to throw me over this boat, and the storm will cease. Because in that moment, Jonah could have leaned into the pain and said, you know what, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm running. I'm going to stop. Lord, just let the storm calm down. I don't want to hurt these good people. And Jonah even felt bad for them, but not enough to bow his knee to God. And so he said, you're going to have to throw me over. And they're like, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. All right, see ya. And so they threw him over. And that's where we pick up in the text today, Jonah chapter 2. It says, you hurled me, Jonah said, speaking to the Lord, into the depths. I want you to pay attention to the language. He said, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Depths, currents, waves, breakers, banished. Jonah's, he's at the end of his rope. In Jonah's mind at this point, it's over. My life is over as I know. It, it, it's over. I mean, I just feel it, the depths, the currents, the waves, the breakers. I feel banished, abandoned. What in the world? It's, it's my life is over. It's so interesting. Jonah in the midst of thinking that his life was over, it was really something quite contrary. If you take notes, jot this down. 
Jonah thought it was the end of his life, but in reality, it was the end of himself. He just couldn't see it. See, when he went overboard at the end of chapter 1, the Bible says that God prepared a fish. I know it's hard for you to wrap your mind around. God prepared a fish. God provided a provision for Jonah. God was working behind the scenes in a way that Jonah could have never imagined. Sometimes when we're in the midst of pain, we feel like we've been banished. We feel like we're in the depths. We feel like we're in the currents. We feel like the breakers and the waves are overwhelming us, and there's no possible way of escape. And God says, I'm working behind the scenes. I'm making a way for you where there is no way. I'm making some provision for you. When you think it's over, when you think it's the end of your life, no, I'm just bringing you to the end of yourself. And, And it continues, and he says this. He says, when my life was ebbing away, he said, I remembered you, Lord. I don't want to stop here for a moment. You know, there were so many times in my life, in moments where I just felt like maybe a certain aspect or a certain area of my life was done. And it doesn't have to even be on this massive scale. Maybe life is just not working well in certain areas. And you've been spinning your wheels. Like you've been using all your contacts, all your resources, and just nothing is working. And you're trying to figure out, oh, and you feel like this has got to be the end. Maybe it's not. Maybe God is trying to do something inside of you that's greater than you can see on the surface. Because that's, what's, that's what ends up happening to Jonah. Jonah thinks it's the end of his life, but really it was the end of himself. He says, when my life was ebbing away. Now, Jonah is writing this, or Jonah is declaring this from inside the belly of a fish. He said, Lord, I remembered you, Lord. You know, pain has a way of causing us to prioritize, doesn't it? Isn't like there there are moments of pain, all of a sudden it's like the worst feeling in the world, but you get some great clarity at the very same time. Right, it kind of awakens you to to what's important, to what's real, to to, to what really matters. And so Jonah is is sinking, and all of a sudden it's like, Lord, I, I remember you, Lord. It brings me back to Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Him and Jonah were running the same race. The, the story of the prodigal sons, I should say, um, especially the one who uh, wanted his father dead, said, give me my inheritance. I want to go live my best life, dad, and you're not a part of that. And so he takes his inheritance and he spends it. He parties, he just goes, he travels, he just does everything that he thinks is going to be his best life. Well, the money runs out, the friends run out, he's in a pig pen trying to make a living and so desperate, such in a bad spot, and it's in that pain that all of a sudden he starts to remember the goodness of his father. He starts to remember his dad. And it was like, what am I, what am I doing? What am I doing? And, and he starts to try to figure out, what am I going to say to my dad? And, and, and I, I need to go back and talk to him. And, and all of a sudden he begins to think clearly in the midst of his pain. Jonah, he's remembering the Lord, and he says, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So now all of a sudden, Jonah is moving to uh, uh, remembering the Lord, to all of a sudden realizing that, God, I've tried everything. I've tried to run from you. I've tried to ignore you. I've tried, and this is where it's got me. And so all of a sudden, it's this reality check where Jonah realizes he's at the end of himself. There's nothing Jonah can do at this point. I mean, he's at the bottom. Jonah is helpless. No resource, no contact, no strength, no power, no glory, nothing can rectify this situation. 
how many of you guys know pain can cause you to pray a little bit, right? All of a sudden, God seems a little bit better in pain, right? Lord, I know I don't talk to you ever, but I'm hurting. I need you, right? God, he gets a lot of those calls. Prayer, pain has a way of causing you to pray. But Jonah just doesn't pray. All of a sudden, clarity starts to happen because he's remembering the Lord. He's starting to cry out. There's this dependence on God to move or to do something in his life. And it continues. And he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And what Jonah is recognizing right now is he's saying, man, Lord, I've been chasing after idols. My way. Right? I, I didn't want to be the unpopular guy. Back in the city, because if I go to preach to those people in Nineveh, nobody's going to like me anymore. Like, I'm not going to be that guy. Like, maybe my credentials might be taken away. And all of a sudden, things that Jonah shouldn't have been concerned about became a priority to him. But this is what's so awesome. Notice how Jonah doesn't say, hey, those who cling to worthless idols turn away. And God, you're so mean. So, I'm sorry. No, Jonah is reminded of the goodness of God. Just like the prodigal son was reminded of the goodness of his father, Jonah said, man, those who cling to idols are just removing themselves from your love. Like they're distancing themselves from your love. God, you're trying to love us. You're trying to, you're pursuing us, and we're pursuing other things. Jonah was like, oh, my goodness, what in the world was I thinking the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so Jonah is getting great clarity. And this is my favorite part. And it says, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now, Jonah has grateful praise in the midst of his pain. Like, he's still in the belly of the fish. He's not been spit out on the surface yet. And so all of a sudden, it's not just a praise, but grateful praise. All of a sudden, in this place of utter helplessness, in this place at the end of himself, he begins to reprioritize. He starts to pray and cry out to God, repent from his sin. He's getting even more clarity of God's goodness and God's love for him. And then he breaks out with a song in the midst of his pain. You see, I think a lot of times in life, we are waiting for the breakthrough to have a heart of grateful praise. Like we're just waiting until the breakthrough happens. Then we're going to be okay. That's what the world has to offer. And that's what a, a multiplicity of false religions and ideologies have to offer. When you get, then you will get. But Christianity is something completely different than that. Christianity says... You don't necessarily have to, to, to wait for your breakthrough to be so full of joy and grateful praise. You can be filled with praise in the midst of your pain. And so what if I told you today, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, that God wanted to give you a breakthrough before your breakthrough. What if I told you that God wanted to give you a breakthrough before your breakthrough? That's the beauty of Christianity. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of all the mess, there can be grateful praise. See, Jonah didn't win when he got outside of the fish. Jonah won in the depths. There was a breakthrough in the depths before the breakthrough. Am I talking to anybody today? 
Now, I think as a result of this, one of the greatest gifts that pain produces, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, is the gift of humility. The gift of humility. Yeah, ooh. Uh, right? Like, like, humility is not just something we pursue. Like, I don't think everybody woke up on, you know, 2019, January 1st, and said, I'm pursuing humility this year. That's, what, that's my resolution. Right? And a lot of times, you don't even hear sometimes it's preached very much. Because who wants to deal with humility? Who wants who? Humility, how is humility really a gift? Because I think a lot of us, when we think about humility, what do we think about? We think about vulnerable. Who wants to be vulnerable? We think about loser, like the humble one loses. Even though we know the right answers, many times we still think that way. Right, we, we think uh, humility is being weak. We think of humility as being painful. Who wants to be humble? It's painful, and yes, it is, but I'm here to tell you today that it is also so powerful. That humility, yes, an aspect is painful, but it's also so powerful. You say, well, prove it to me. I'm going to prove it to you. And it's so powerful because God says that's who I hang out with. I hang out with those who are humble and contrite. Can I just tell you, wherever God is, that's going to be a great day. Uh, whether you're in the depth or you're on the mountaintop, where God is present, that's going to be a good day. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, look what he says. He says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity. God is pretty big, pretty big. The holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. So, so, so get this picture. God says, that's who I love to hang out with. I don't know about you, but if there was one thing that I could get this year, if there was one reality that I'd want to be so confident of, is that, Lord, you want to hang out with me. And that's the gift. Pain has the way of producing and giving us this gift of humility. And so it's amazing that many times we tend to avoid what could be the greatest catalyst to breakthrough in our life, to breakthrough in our relationships. You know how far humility goes in relationships? Do you know how many relationships are divided right now because of a lack of humility? So, so whether it's a divided relationship with God, a divided relationship with people, listen, humility can take you places. It can be a key catalyst. And so I would propose to you today that breakthrough, real breakthrough, as we enter into 2019, breakthrough begins with the end of you. Breakthrough begins at the end of me. Right? Why? Because breakthrough, if we're going to get real breakthrough, it requires a breaking, a breaking off of the old. We've been talking about this, this whole series and, and putting on the new. Paul in Ephesians speaks of it like taking off clothes, like take off the old clothes and put on some new ones. Breakthrough requires a breaking. Now, I know that kind of sounds really cool and clever with the wording, the breakthrough and the breaking, right? I think T.D. Jakes said there's blessing in the breaking, right? I mean, it, it preaches really, really well. It preaches well. But, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. It, it's far beyond that. And even though we may have a problem, like nobody wants to be broken. Nobody wants to, uh, nobody's excited here about, yeah, God, break me. That's not our prayer this year, right? God, just break me. I want a breakthrough. It doesn't seem very exciting. Look how quiet it is in here. It's like, oh gosh. 
But here's the deal. We have no problem with this in other areas of our life. We actually encourage it. Let me prove it to you. So my daughters, every year we have a pinata. Every single year for their birthday. And everybody knows the pinata is cool, but it's only good if it's broke. Like no kid is looking at the pinata saying, that is amazing. They're like, when it's broken, it's amazing. Because all the goods come out. All the goods are inside. Like we have no problem with this reality. Kids are so pumped to get up and crush this thing. Because they know that there's goods in the breaking. What, what about a seed? What about a seed? When you look at a seed in this state, it's no good. Like a seed just on top of the soil is no good. It's only when the seed goes into the soil and breaks out of its original form and dies that new life is able to be produced. Like we're good with that. How many of you guys like vegetables? Shout out to the Daniel Fast, right? But, but we're okay with saying, listen, we get it that a seed needs to go into the ground and die in order for there to be breakthrough to new life. We just have a hard time dealing with this when it comes to us. We want to believe it's the opposite. We don't need any breaking. We just need breakthrough, right? I don't want to be broken. I don't want to be stripped from my pride. I don't want self-sufficiency to break off because I'm so awesome and I make great decisions. It's just, it's just hard to really believe that, that it's good for us to have a breaking before the breakthrough. But what's interesting to me is the very thing that we run from, the Apostle Paul ran towards. So the Apostle Paul caught a secret. He caught the secret of humility. And, and a lot of times how he learned it was through pain. He learned it through difficulty. Let me, let me show you. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11 Paul said, for we are alive, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Does that sound like, hey, you guys want to follow Jesus? You're going to be delivered over to death, right? He said, we're always being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. What Paul is saying is, I've had to go through a lot. I've been through a lot. I've had to suffer a lot. I've had to go through a lot. But my pain was never without purpose. He goes on to say, there's a purpose, no, uh, go back. He goes on to say that, um, that there was purpose to his pain. What was the purpose? So that his life, meaning Christ's life, may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. He was saying, listen, everything that I've had to suffer, everything that I've had to go through, we've been given over to death, and it's painful, but there's pain with a purpose. With God, there's always a purpose in the pain. And he said the purpose is, is that Christ's life would be revealed in our mortal bodies, that we would come to the end of us, that Christ would rule and reign. And Paul uses this language all throughout his writings in the New Testament. Look at this next one. He, he says this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, meaning Christ, my grace is sufficient for you. <coughs> now, <clears throat> excuse me, you have to understand that what Paul was, or what the Lord was speaking to Paul about in this passage was a result of Paul crying out to, to the Lord to, to relieve some pain. The Bible says that Paul had a thorn in his side. We don't know what it was. We don't, scholars have speculated whether it was physical, whether it was emotional, spiritual. We, we don't know what it was. But Paul prayed three times, Lord, will you please take this away? Please, God, please, please. And this is the Lord's response. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And what Paul discovered, he said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. 
Because humility just, you know, uh, just doesn't bring us to the end of ourselves, so to speak, just to say, hey, we're like, you know, kind of, you know, walking this defeated life. I'm humble, everybody. So humble. No, humility is so courageous. Humility is so bold. Who, who lives like this? So it's not weak. It's not feeble. And Paul said, man, there's purpose in your pain. I've learned that at the end of myself, there's purpose in my pain. And, and, and there's also power in the midst of that in my weakest moments, Christ's power is revealed the most. So Paul said, I'll boast in my weakness. Paul said, I want to live in that place. You know, there's a woman by the name of Lisa Turkhurst. Uh, maybe you guys have heard of her. She runs a ministry called Proverbs 31 and uh, just ministers to both men and women all across the nation and even the world. This woman has been through some pain. I encourage you, go listen to her testimony. Because th this woman, she, in the midst of running the, running the ministry, doing what God has called her to do, she's faced, you know, colon issues where she had to have surgery. She's had cancer. Her husband had an affair on her. I mean, she's just check, check, check. I mean, this woman has been through some stuff. And on one particular occasion when, before she knew that she had an issue with her colon, she was in excru excruciating pain for a, for a week long. She just could not get away from the pain. She said, I was on morphine, but nothing would take off the edge. She was just crying out in agony. And she said, I was crying out to God, God, take it away. And she said it was really frustrating because she knows that God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. And she thought, man, God, if you can take away this pain, then you're choosing not to. Why? Because sometimes in pain, the promises of God get a little bit blurred. And so she's like, come on, if I had kids, I would take away their pain if I, if I had the power and I could. And so she just was just going through that week just wrestling with her body, wrestling with God. So the doctor comes in at the end of the week and he says, hey, Lisa, he says, I'm so glad that we checked you in. We got to get you to surgery right away. Because they've been doing tests. They just didn't know what was wrong with her. He said, you know, your colon is twisted and it's separated from some different parts internally. And we need to do surgery right away. And then he said, oh, by the way, I know that you've been crying out to God all week to take away your pain. But I'm so glad that God didn't answer that prayer. Because if you went home with no pain, you would have died. And so you, you, just, you just never know what God is doing behind the scenes. What she thought was the end of the road was really just the end of herself, of relying upon her. Paul continues. He says this in 2 Corinthians 1, 8, 9. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. You ever hear that, that slogan, uh, God will never give you more than you can handle? It's not true. God will never give you more than he can handle. And a lot of times that passage is twisted because in the book of James it says that God will not get, put, you will not be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But that's a completely different context. Paul said this was far beyond our ability to endure. So much so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Does it get any worse than that, ladies and gentlemen? But... This happens so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul said, I thought it was the end of the road, but it was just the end of myself. And in the, when I thought it was the, the end of my road is the beginning of God's. 
And so where my limitations, my connections, my resources, where they end, God says, that's where I begin. And Paul said to such a degree that what we determine as dead, what we thought was over, God said, I can raise that to life. But I'm teaching you something, not to rely upon yourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So listen, today, if you're at the end of your road in a particular area, praise God. Like if you're at the end of the road in a marriage, like you just don't know if you can do this anymore. You might be in a great place. (laughs) It doesn't feel like that. It might not be the end of the marriage. It just might be the end of you. Right? Maybe you're you're in, in, in a tough spot. Maybe you're single and you're just like, man, I just can't live a pure life. I just can't follow Jesus in this area anymore. Like, I need to, uh, match.com, let's go, right? (laughs) And you're at the end, listen, it may not be the end. Hold on, it just might be the end of you, of relying upon you. Listen, I know this is not a popular message, but God has called me to pastor you. This is where breakthrough really exists. This is where breakthrough really happens. It's not in a superficial way. It it, it starts in a deep spot. I don't want you to have a moment of breakthrough. I want you to live a life of breakthrough. Are you tracking with me on that? And so listen, whatever it is right now, whatever that is, you fill in the blank where you feel like I am done. It's over. It's dead. I'm at the end of the road. Maybe it's not dead. Maybe it's not the end of the road. Maybe it's just the end of you. Because I just want that to sink in for a moment, that God is able to bring life out of dead things. Now, how does this work on Monday? Right? How does this work today? Because that's kind of a lot to take in. It's a lot to swallow. How does this work on Monday? Well, humility has a habit. And we see this habit all woven out through the narrative of Scripture. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, that the habit of humility is simply this, saying yes to God and no to self. It's just a constant pattern. It's a constant habit of men and women saying no to God and yes to self. Now, I know this contradicts everything that you're told today. Right? Everybody says, if you want to live your best life, focus on you. Like, just do your thing. Chase after your dreams. Get, 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 get. And that's awesome. Listen, you can live, you can, you can go far that way. You can make a lot of money that way. You could have some success that way, but at the end of that road, you will never be fulfilled that way. You will never will. I mean, so you can, you can live your best life, but it's really not going to be your best life. You may think it is until you get to the end of that road, and it's like, oh, no, I made a wrong turn. Like, no way. Because here's the irony of this. You ready for this? It's going to get really confusing, but um, hopefully, hopefully you can catch it. When you say no to God... You're really saying no to yourself. Because to say yes to God is really to say yes to yourself. Because Jesus said, I've come that you would have an abundant life. Not a horrible life, a fulfilled life. Not not just a life that has a couple of great experiences and moments, but a life that is utterly fulfilled. That just doesn't impact you here, but carries you on to the next. And so... To say yes to God is to really say yes to you. To say yes to God, it, it really, it could be like a selfish deal, right? Like, well, why are you saying yes to God? Well, I want to live my best life. And I know that he has what's best for me. See, this is what God will do. God will teach you to love yourself properly, not selfishly. And there's a big difference. And so 
we see throughout the narrative of Scripture this, this, this habit repeated. Let me just give you a couple examples and I'm going to wrap up. Uh, we have uh, Moses. Moses was a guy who had a, a, a pretty extreme failure. He murdered a guy. His, his intentions were right, but he murdered a guy. He ran 40 years away from that place into the desert. 40 years away from that place of failure. And then guess what? God shows up 40 years later. Moses thinks, I'm never going back there. Like, God can never do anything with that failure. That failure, it's, it's fatal. And then God shows up one day. Moses is shepherding. He had, it wasn't a popular job. And he says, Moses, guess what, man? I'm calling you to go back to that place and deliver my people from the king of Egypt. Moses is like, what? And so he goes on to tell God how God is missing it. He says, you know, God, I, what if they don't believe me? I can't even talk right. Last point, God, find somebody else. And then God presses a little bit more. How many know when God presses a little bit, it's like, oh, okay, all right, all right. And so he says yes, despite wanting to say no. And that was the best decision. That was a moment of breakthrough before the breakthrough. It was a moment of him saying yes to God. And, and Moses experienced God in such powerful ways on this journey. Listen, can I just tell you, when we say no to God, we're saying no to real life. Moses would not say, hey, horrible decision. I said yes. Moses is like, thank you for your grace, God, because I wanted to say no. Then you have Esther, Queen Esther. You know, she was living her best life. She was in the palace. She's a queen. Luxury. She's living better than all the rest. She has influence. She has power. Right? And the Jewish people, they're in harm's way. Someone, a man by the name of Haman, wanted to commit genocide on all the Jewish people. And, and it was easy for Esther in the moment to just kind of ignore that pain. I, because... What it would require of me is, it's greater than me. And so her, her cousin Mordecai says, hey, Esther, listen, you got influence, you got authority. Come on, you got to go to the king. You got to tell him what's happening. She said, man, I can't go to the king. He'll kill me if he doesn't call me. I can't just go into his presence. And Mordecai said, who knows that God raised you up for such a time as this. He said, listen, if you don't do it, God will raise somebody else up. But he said, maybe you were raised up for such a time as this. And, and then her moment of breakthrough. She said, yes. She said, fast and pray for me for three days. I'm going to the king. And if I die, then I die. That is a woman that experienced a breakthrough before the breakthrough. She'd already resolved everything in her heart and mind. She already had broken through even before her people were saved. What, what about Peter? Peter, th this, is, this is a... One of the, 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 the most common passages of Scripture, the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee, which I'll be there in a couple weeks. So excited. Um, on the Sea of Galilee, a storm arises. Jesus comes out to them walking upon the storm. They think it's a ghost. They're like, oh, no, it's a ghost. And then finally they're like, no, it's Jesus. And Peter said, Lord, if that's you, then command me to come. And I'll come out to you. And you always hear about this passage being preached in regards to Peter stepping out of the boat. But in reality, in that moment, Peter was stepping outside of himself. Eyes focused on God, stepping outside of himself. 
into the storm. Walking upon the storm. The storm had not ceased yet. What was happening is Peter was experiencing a breakthrough before the breakthrough. He was walking upon the very thing that should have swallowed him up. As long as he kept his focus. And then, then lastly, I think the greatest picture of this is, is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and I'm going to close with this. The Gethsemane, it means oil press. It's where olives would be crushed to a pulp so that oil could be produced and flow. Of the place of the pressing, they would call it. And so he's at this, this crucial moment where the cross is on the horizon and he tells his disciples, hey, will you stay up and watch and pray with me? And then he takes Peter, James, and John a little bit further. He says, guys, stay up and watch. Watch and pray. The word watch, it means stay alert. It was almost as Jesus was saying, don't let your self-confidence lull you to sleep. There's a spiritual battle happening right now. Keep awake. Don't depend on yourself. Because he tells Peter just a little bit later, he says, pray lest you fall into temptation. Keep your eyes open. And then Jesus goes off a little bit further to pray. But I wonder if it's not just, hey, Jesus was in a tough time, so I want you guys to pray with me. But also, guys, I want you to watch how I process my pain. And he goes and he gets on his face and he cries out to the Father. See, I don't think that Jesus was afraid of the pain of the cross. Many people have gone to the, to the, to the, the stake or, or, or to, to be martyred very courageously. I think what was the most intense moment for Jesus is the thought of being separated from the Father as he bore the wrath of God as a result of our sin upon himself. Because you got to understand, the Father is so good. I and the Father, we are one. We, 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 we are one. Jesus knows that, man, separation from the Father, that would be the worst nightmare. Forget physical pain. I don't want to be separated from, from the Father. So he's feeling the gravity. The Bible says that his sweat became like drops of blood. He prays. But then the praise. Probably the greatest praise, the greatest words uttered in that garden. Look what Jesus said. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, Father, that this, this, this hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Daddy, intimate language, intimacy. He said, everything is possible for you. Like, I know all things are possible. You can make another way. I'm not sure if I want this to be the story because the cup, can you take it from me? Because I'm going to pour, you're going to, listen, this, this cup of wrath is going to be poured out upon me for the sins of the world. And in that moment, I'm going to be separated from you. And I can't even imagine the moment of being separated from you. But nevertheless, the praise, not my will, but your will be done. Say no to me and yes to you. I believe in that moment, we see the way that Jesus endured the cross was unfathomable. I believe that was a moment of breakthrough in the garden. Because on the cross, we don't see him sweating drops of blood like that. He is in excruciating pain. He is suffering for the sins of humanity while he's caring for everybody else. Hey, John, take care of my mom. Hey, Father, forgive these guys for they know not what they do. Hey, thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. All of a sudden, it was like, this is it. The moment of breakthrough. I, I wish I can, you know, change something. I wish that this wouldn't be the story. I wish you wouldn't. But nevertheless, yes to you. And, and Mark says this, that he went and did it three times. 
three times it says that he went to his disciples, found them sleeping. It was like, come on, guys. And he went back and prayed the same thing, Mark said. Then he came back and prayed the same thing, Mark said again. Can I just tell you, say yes to God as many times as you need to until you get a breakthrough. Say yes as many times. Let that become a habit. Let that become a rhythm of your life. Could you imagine what 2019 would look like if you had the habit of yes to God? Could you imagine what your relationships would look like if you bought in to the habit of humility, saying no to you and yes to God? What type of story could the Lord write with your pain? He's a whole lot better writer than I am. And our life, our best life, is when we're saying yes to him. Yes to him. So what I want you to do, just one question for you. What area of your life do you need to say yes to God today? What is that area? Start today. But in order for a new habit to start, Charles Duhigg said in The Power of Habit, an old one has to die. So let the habit of yes to God instead of the habit of yes to self, start today. And you'll get a breakthrough before the breakthrough.